Good morning. Those of you that don't know me, my name is Rick Sherman. Uh, it is my privilege to be up here from time to time sharing God's Word. Today we are continuing in our Advent series. Micah started us off two weeks ago with John the Baptist on preparation. Uh, Don Stuber carried on last week with Mary and cultivation. And I have been tasked with today Zechariah and anticipation. So anticipation, I thought about it on earth and I thought really on earth it seems like anticipation is almost always better than the real thing, isn't it? Um, you know, we anticipate something, we anticipate something, and then it's, it's gone. You know, you think back to kids at Christmas, and I can remember one truck I really wanted. I don't know if I was eight, and I anticipated I wanted that truck so bad, and I don't think by March I was playing with that truck anymore. It, anticipation, it, it's better than the real thing. I thought, well, what, what is actually as good as the real thing? And I, and I came up not with a very long list, but one thing I thought, maybe universal, maybe I'm crazy, but... Your driver's license. That is better than the anticipation. It is the key to freedom. I couldn't, I couldn't live without my driver's license. It's the key to freedom, anticipation. So those of you over here that don't have one, it's worth it. it the anticipation, actually the driver's license is better. But a word of caution. Those of you over here that are thinking, I can't wait to get out of school, get a job, and join the real world. No. <laughs> Ask these three sections. Before we go to God's word, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Uh, Lord, I just want to lift up Rick this morning, um, that you can deliver your message through him. I just pray for all of us that we would put aside the thoughts and preparations of this upcoming week and, and take time to focus on you and the anticipation of your coming. Lord, we just thank you for the glorious sunshine outside today, and, but ultimately we just thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And in your name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So we are going to be perfect in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. I'll get you a moment to get there, 856 in your pew Bible or electronic device, however you choose to pull this up. I'll give you a moment to get there. So Luke 67, Luke 1, 67, I'm reading out of the NIV, follows pretty close out of the ESV. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the, dark sh and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So depending on your pew Bible, this is either Zechariah's song, or um, depending on your heading in your Bible, Zechariah's song or Zechariah's prophecy. Uh, and actually we're uh, prophesying, some commentators would say this actually goes to Acts chapter 2, who is referencing Joel 2, 
that your old men will have prophecies. Your young men will dream dreams. If you remember back, Zechariah is well advanced in years. He and his wife Elizabeth are having a child. They're not well advanced in years in me. They are long past childbearing years. She was infertile. And this was an absolute miracle that they had a son. Um, so Zechariah's song. And his first words are praise. Zechariah, if you remember again, has been at least unable to speak, some would say unable to hear, for nine months and eight days plus. Nine months and eight days, this man has not been able to speak, and his first words are captured here in Scripture, and he starts with praise. If I was quiet for nine months, I'm not convinced the first words out of my mouth would be praise. This is such a beautiful passage. Sometimes we get up here as ministers and we have passages that are a little dark and a little tough. And I think, how can I make this good? My goal today is how can I not make this bad? This is such a beautiful passage of scripture. Zechariah's song, he starts with praise. And notice, Zechariah, another overarching theme as I studied this passage, Zechariah basically skips over his son, John the Baptist. The virtual bulk of this song slash prophecy is about Jesus. It is about the future. After nine months, the boy he thought he'd never have, the boy he and Elizabeth thought they would never get, and his words are praise to God for his son, predominantly this song slash prophecy is about Jesus. Zechariah is anticipating Jesus, not the boy he's holding in his hands. Such a beautiful passage. He notes he has come. No, he hasn't. This is about Jesus. He hasn't come. Zechariah is looking ahead. Zechariah is anticipating the Christ. Zechariah's praise, Saf's song. Um, Broken this up in the bulletin. I want to key in on five words. Um, That's a lot for me to go through. I will try not to go as fast as I usually do, but I want to key in on five words out of this um, song slash prophecy. So the first word is redemption, and I want to read these verses again to keep them fresh in our mind, and that's simply verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come and has redeemed his people. Well, he hasn't. Again, Zechariah is anticipating. There's the Greek word for redemption. We all know it. He's actually using a past tense. He is saying God has accomplished his redemption. Zechariah is anticipating, but he's speaking in the past tense. God has already accomplished his redemption. Isn't that beautiful? It's actually similar phrasing to the Exodus. When a million people left Egypt under the cover of a cloud and crossed the Red Sea, and it was a Passover that was celebrated, every person would have known the Passover. Zechariah is using the same word. God has accomplished his redemption, similar to what he did in the Passover in Exodus. It is freeing God's people. Redemption. So we use big words up here, right, when we talk redemption, propitiation, transubstantiation. We, we use bigger sanctification. What does it mean, redemption? Dictionary.com. Having been saved or delivered from, our sin, from sin or its consequences. Having been paid, recovered, bought back, or exchanged for money or other goods. Having been discharged or fulfilled. Having made amends for or overcome some wrongdoing or fault. Redemption. Can we pause this morning and take that word in? Redemption. We have been redeemed. We have been saved and delivered from our sin and its consequences. Redemption. 
Redemption. We have been paid, recovered, bought back and exchanged, not for money, but for what? For other goods, for Jesus' blood. God has accomplished our redemption. I wonder if we don't whip over that word and not fully take it in and grasp it. Redemption. We have been discharged or fulfilled in full. This isn't part of your house mortgage paid off. This isn't somebody forgave most of your debt. This isn't most. This isn't almost all of. Redemption. Complete. God has redeemed us fully. Having made amends for or overcome some wrongdoing or fault. Why redemption? Because we have wrongdoings and faults. And they have been overcome by Jesus. Redemption. Our sin has been overcome. Paid for in full. An accomplished redemption. I want to key in on the next word. Uh, actually, hold off on that. But I do want to read this passage. I want to just, again, reread it to keep the word of God in our heads. And this is verses 69 through 75. I'm going to read them again. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah here, most commentators would say, is speaking more of in the geopolitical, the current setting that the, all the Jews were looking for someone on earth, the, the Messiah on earth to overtake Rome, to set up and give them peace and salvation and redemption. Um, we'll talk about that. I'm going to talk about a little bit more in eternal terms, but just to give the text its due. Um, but here we have the word horn of salvation. Horn of salvation. In those days, an animal with a horn was an animal with great power. So unlike a bunny... Or a turkey. These are animals with great power. Zechariah is saying that we have a horn of salvation. We have power of salvation. And it's from David's line. He is tying this to David's line. Matthew 1 is Jesus' genealogy. Mentioned in Romans 1. That Zechariah is tying this back to David's line. He actually ties it back further. He ties it back all the way to Abraham. Genesis 12. And interestingly enough, about 1,900 years from Zechariah's song to Abraham. I thought that was an interesting correlation. Aren't we somewhere in the 1,900-year range from Jesus to today? As noted, 400 years of silence. Basically, God was pretty quiet for about 400 years before this John the Baptist coming on the scene in Zechariah. And God breaks his silence with a horn of salvation. In verses 76 and 77. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So here the gear change that I referenced earlier, looking a little bit more eternally now, and actually now Zechariah is referencing John the Baptist, his son. He is saying, you, my son will be one of the most high. Gear change, we talked about that. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. One man, as Micah noted, is going to prepare the way of the Lord. What was John the Baptist's message? God is love. It's all going to be okay. 
He's coming back. John the Baptist's message was harsh. It's repent. Repent and be baptized because God is coming. It actually cost John the Baptist his head. John the Baptist's message could not have been simple. Repent. Why? Because you need your sins forgiven. If you have done nothing wrong, you have no need of repentance or forgiveness. John the Baptist's message, the preparation coming that he was going to give was repent. Matthew 1, 4, Acts 13, 24. So here it's titled Knowledge of Salvation, right? I wanted to pause here for a moment. How do I know I'm forgiven? How do I know it? I've been reading a book, uh, it's not on this topic, but there was a chapter on it, and um, truthfully, this is a ploy of Satan, isn't it? You know, some Christians go through this earth and they have the absolute 100% bedrock knowledge that they are saved. It doesn't waver from the time they accept Christ till the time they die, they, they have it. I will be candid, I'm not that person. Is this not an attack of Satan sometimes? Do you ever actually question it? Does he ever say, are, are you sure? Are, are you sure you're saved? Does he have that? Does he attack you? I can tell you he does me. So how do, I, how do I get through that? How do we get through that? I mean, I know I am, but, but I don't know it. Does that make sense? Am I resonating with anyone here? Does Satan ever say, are, are you sure? You, you sure God's got this all under control? Is this all true? So how do we know it? And I don't have the perfect answer for it. I wish I did. But I know this much. It's perfectly okay to pray for it. God, can you convince me? Can you show me? Can you show me through my day? Can you give me that knowledge? And when Satan attacks and questions it, which he will and does... Can you just reassure me in the knowledge of my salvation? Put it in my heart day in and day out as I read the scripture, as I pray scripture, as I pray to God. It's perfectly okay to pray for it. Pray for that confidence. Pray for that knowledge of your salvation because Satan will attack it and question it. And how does that manifest itself? It manifests itself in Romans 8.18. For I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. That is someone writing that knows he's saved. He is living it. My present sufferings, not even worth comparing. For I know, one Tim, in 2 Timothy 1-2, Paul again, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know it. What I've committed, the forgiveness I need from God, that salvation, I know in my heart that he's got it. And on that day, he's got it. The knowledge of salvation. Again, it can be elusive. For those of you that are struggling with it, I want to encourage you. Uh, the guy on stage struggles with it from time to time. Pray for it. And know your salvation. Some of us might never achieve that on earth. But understand it's true. And it's good to know your salvation. Not just head knowledge. Here. And why? Verse 78. I'll read that again. Because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. Why salvation? We talked about, <clears throat> well, sorry, my brain shut down there for a moment, uh, anticipating 
God's mercy. Why God's mercy? For God so loved the world. Why do we need salvation? Why do we have it? Because we're sinners. Why did John the Baptist have to prepare the way of the Lord? Repent. Why? Because we've done something wrong. Well, why did God send something to me? Because I earned it? Because he looked down and thought, you know, those people on earth, they're, they're good. I need to, they need just a little bit of help, but they're okay. Why salvation? Because one reason. Because God's love. For God so loved the world. I think I say this verse every other time I'm up here. It's so perfect. Why? Because God loved the world. That whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why? God's mercy is new every morning. Is new every morning. Every morning, God's mercy is new. It doesn't tire. And it doesn't need to refresh itself every night. We get refreshed overnight when we sleep. But it is there every morning. God's mercy. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Not the good. Not the holy. Not the people that didn't need help. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Because he loves them. God's mercy. And greater love has no man than this. John 15, 13. Then he lay down his life for his friends. Well, Jesus did that, right? Well, I can tell you Jesus laid down his life for me. Right after I spat in his face. Jesus laid down his life for me. Right after I said, crucify him. Crucify him. Greater love has no man than this. Then he lay down his life for his friends. I was not a friend of Jesus when he died for me. I propose to you, you weren't. God's mercy. Greater love has no man than Jesus had for us. The rising sun, verse 78 and 79 to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. Someone mentioned it. Wasn't it great to see the sun this morning? I mean, it's been like two weeks, hasn't it? It was fantastic. Uh, similar wording here to Isaiah 9.2. He's actually quoting it back. Uh, we've seen a great light. Matthew, Matthew 4, 16, the rising sun. He is, Zechariah, again, is anticipating Jesus. We're back off John the Baptist. Really, we're only on John the Baptist for that one verse, if I didn't make it clear. Um, you, my son. This is not John the Baptist. Zechariah is not anticipating John the Baptist being the rising sun. Zechariah is anticipating the Christ. This whole prophecy, this whole song is about Zechariah looking for the Christ. Uh, we have seen a great light. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Why do we need light? Because we live in darkness. We live in darkness. And I won't speak for anyone else other than me. I like the dark. Because when the light shines, I see my flaws. When the light shines, if you're working on a project, you see the flaws. When, the, when Jesus shines his light, we see our flaws. Why do we need the light? Because we live in darkness. Why are we sending missionaries to closed countries? Why, when you read, um, why are we reading or sending missionaries anywhere? Because we need it. Because we live in darkness. And without the light, we die in darkness. We need the light. God's mercy 
on us, and he gave us the light, the rising sun. And peace, our last word, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. So some of my strengths are my weaknesses. Uh, one of those, very candidly, is I follow news. Um, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's to my peril. Um, peace, how are we doing on that in this earth? Russia, Ukraine. Indonesia's got some issues right now. Uh, not a good time to be at Machu Picchu in Peru, if you want to leave anyways. Uh, China, lots of turmoil there. Uh, we think some of that stuff's overseas. I know Iran. Wow, if you follow the news, what's going on over there? Not good. Uh, Afghanistan is back to public floggings and canings and hangings. Not good. Peace, right? Peace on earth is not good. Well, that's all overseas. You know, I, as some of you may know, I come from north of the border. Not a good time to be in the clergy north of the border. Um, how about America, right? We're immune from that. We're Americans. Is our country not divided just about 50-50? Uh, did you know, oddly enough, that there's actually good Christian Democrats? Did you know there's actually good Christian Republicans? Those of you that are on either side of the aisle, why are we fighting peace? There's just not peace. But it says here, Jesus came to give peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9. And Jesus says he's giving us the peace that passes understanding. So when I think of this, I think of uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, some of you see the... Uh, calendar out there and we get a little publication, the, the Voice of the Martyrs, I think of the book, The Insanity of God, and I think of peace. Those people had peace, not on the earth, not superficially. Their peace was here. It was in their heart. Amidst horrible, awful circumstances, peace, peace that passes understanding. It's not tied to our circumstances. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that's, that takes some effort. Again, that takes some prayer. But let the peace of God rule over the earth. And in my life, the peace of God rule in my heart. Then I have peace, regardless of my circumstance. When they had to wake Jesus up in the middle of a, sea, a storm on the sea, the disciples were terrified What's his word to calm the storm? Peace. Be still. I'm not so sure that word wasn't for their hearts also. Guys, peace. Be still. My peace, Jesus says, I give to you. It's not the peace of the world. My peace, I give to you. Peace. So, I swear I drink so much, I'm just talking too much. One thing, as I, as, I've, as I studied this text, and this is, might be really basic and rudimentary, but one thing that just kept going through my brain as I processed this text, you know, Zechariah is anticipating salvation, Zechariah is anticipating redemption, Zechariah is anticipating mercy, Zechariah is anticipating um, peace that we just talked about. And one thing that just kept going through my brain, he's anticipating. So we have 2,000 years of hindsight, right? Christ has come. Most of us, I'm guessing here, know the story. Christ has come. 
He, uh, as a baby in the manger, lived 33 years, uh, was a carpenter by trade, died on the cross, shed his blood for us, came back, lived on earth 40 days, and is gone back to heaven. We, we know that. We have that data. We have that intel that Zechariah didn't have. So what, what am I anticipating? It's good for us to remember at Christmas. It's fantastic. But this question kept going through my head. Who is coming back? Well, I know the answer to that, right? I'm guessing you know the answer to that. But I thought about it more in these terms. He's not coming back. I like Talladega Nights, but little baby Jesus is not coming back. That Jesus is not coming back. He's not coming back. The carpenter is not coming back. There's not some unfinished business. There's not some nails to pound. The carpenter is not coming back. I can't remember the book that made this famous, and I'm not knocking this picture or the book, but he's not coming back. This guy that I can't picture getting angry to say, it's all okay. I love you. It's all good. Whatever you're doing, it's okay. He's not coming back. He's not coming back. And sometimes, I don't know if glamorize is the right word, but the pictures of Christ on the cross usually are, look something like this. Um, I think this is more accurate. Those of you that don't know me, I don't do war movies. I've never seen Passion of the Christ. I, I don't do human suffering. But this was Christ on the cross. Beaten to a bloody pulp. Bloated chest, gasping for every breath. To see the scars from the flogging the day before. I even noticed, notice his kneecaps. Why are those down to the bone? Because he couldn't carry the cross physically. That's Jesus on the cross. Forgiveness to the last breath he had to the thief on the cross. And you know what? He's not coming back. Folks, he is coming back. His robe filled the temple. Folks, he is coming back. His hair as white as snow. He is coming back. Eyes blazing like fire. He is coming back. Feet of glowing bronze. He is coming back with a voice like rushing waters. He is coming back. His mouth sharp like a double-edged sword. He is coming back. The face like the sun. He is coming back to judge the nations. He is coming back. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He is coming back, seated on the throne. He is coming back, his throne flaming with fire. He is coming back, and he observes men and examines them. He is coming back, and nothing, nothing is hidden from him. He is coming back, perfectly righteous. He is coming back with his reward. And he is coming back and we must give account. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that if you are living outside of Jesus Christ, if you are in unrepentant sin, if you have not put the blood of Jesus on your life, this will not be a good day. Folks, he is coming back. The King of kings and Lord of lords is coming back, and you will give account. 
if you have not have a, do not have a relationship with Jesus. Talk to me afterwards. Micah, Doug, one of the elders, the elder in the office. Folks, today is the day because he is coming back. If you are a Christian, he is coming back. When you get up in the morning and you put two feet on the ground in your bed, he is coming back. Can that get you through the day? Folks, he is coming back. At the end of the day, good day, bad day, he is coming back. King of kings and Lord of lords. In quick summation, redeemed. Zechariah talked about redemption, salvation, mercy, the rising sun, and peace. But folks, at the end of the day, whose return are you anticipating? And are you really ready? God bless.